you, Tom. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Tom. Um, wonderful. Uh, my name's Rich, in case you missed it. Um, one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to have you with us. Um, September's always a funny year, isn't it? Because kind a funny year, funny month. Because um, kind of people are always kind of visiting and arriving in London and getting used to it and things like that. Um, but just to say that if you are here for the first time, you are very welcome um, amongst us. I hope you felt welcomed. Um, and please do feel free to stick around for tea and coffee afterwards to chat, to connect more, um, and just to get to know other revers um, and f- get connected in. Um, so. We've been working through um, a series, or just started a few weeks ago, a series um, looking at worship and war. And today, um, we're talking about virtual insanity. I was going to sing the Jamiroquai song, but then I thought better of it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, if, if, yeah, no, nobody wants that, trust me. <laughs> um, but we're working through the life of David, but we're taking a slightly different take on it. Um, So we're looking, if you like, at the life of David, events of David's life, but we're also looking at the Psalms that he wrote um, in response to some of those situations. Now, if you're not familiar um, with Psalms, Psalms are songs. Um, There's a whole book of them um, in the Bible, about halfway through, um, and they're just songs. Um, And a lot of the Psalms are David communicating how he's feeling um, in given circumstances. And we're going to look at... um, a passage, a narrative, something, a story of his life. But we're also going to look at a couple of songs that reflect his own uh, personal journey in the midst of this story, if you like. Um, and we've called it worship and war because, if you like, these two features kind of mark David's life, if you like. He's, he's, he's a man of worship. In um, 1 Samuel 13, um, before he is anointed king, um, Samuel the prophet, da, 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 um, basically God says that he's going to be a man after God's own heart. He's a man of worship. He's a man of devotion. Um, He's a man that will pursue the things of God. Um, David wrote um, over 70, 73. A couple of them are in, like, who was the actual author? But over 70 psalms in the book of psalms, which has 150 in it, um, were written by David. So around about half of them um, were written by David. So he was a man of worship. He was a man of devotion. um, And we'll look at a couple of those later on. Um, But he was also a man of war. So we looked a couple of weeks ago, um, David um, defeated Goliath. Uh, If you've never uh, read the Bible before, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. Um, David defeats Goliath um, and then defeats the Philistines as a result. Um, He's then drawn by the king into um, his his household, if you like. He gets put in charge of the army and he defeats the Philistines over and over again. Um, And so he's a man of worship and he's a man of war as well. Um, And actually, towards the end of David's life, what marks him as a man of worship um, is he says to God, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a temple so the people of God can come and worship you um, in this place. And God says to him, um, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, um, so, uh, oh, I apologize, uh, 1 Chronicles 28, sorry, wrong reference. Um, he, um, David recounts that God says to him in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 13, he says, you can't build a temple, he says, because you're a man of war and have shed blood. 
And so these two characteristics mark David's life. Um, And I I just want to kind of preface um, today, but kind of the whole series, if you like, um, and think about war and worship, the relationship between them. Because we often think of worship being kind of a place of devotion, if you like, a place of of expressing um, our our heart's desire, um, meditating on truth, giving ourselves to the Lord. But we see that as almost an escape from war. We almost see that as escape from the circumstances around us, so from things that are pressing in, the demands of life, the busyness of life. Worship is kind of an escape, if you like. But I kind of want to flip that on its head just right at the start and think, well, maybe what if worship isn't a response or finding an escape from war? Maybe war is actually a result of our worship. That actually, because we decide to worship the Lord through our entire lives, I'm not just talking about songs here, but we choose to take steps of faith and to worship the Lord, we actually receive criticism. We receive um, oppression, intimidation, um, the temptation to fall into sin as a result. For instance, let me give you a really clear example. So if you're at work and you stand up, you refuse to lie. You're not going to lie about something at work and you say to your boss, I'm not going to do it. Well, what sort of flack do you get? That act of worship of just saying, I'm going to stand up for truth. And actually the response you get is affliction. You see, if we don't understand that actually war and worship goes both ways... Um, then, then actually our head's not quite straight. And we always think, well, hold on, I'm worshipping the Lord. Surely everything should be plain sailing. But actually worship is much more active than that. It's not a response to um, difficulty, circumstance, pressure, those sorts of things. Actually worship itself is, is an active um, verb. It's a doing thing. It, it's worship that drives us and drives who we are. And actually as a result of that, we often face Intimidation, pressure, criticism, um, and difficulty. But um, let's move on then with our passage today. So um, our passage today, we're going to uh, jump in with 1 Samuel um, chapter 21. Um, Now a bit of a background to this. Um, So Saul um, is king of Israel at the time. So God's people have said, Lord, we want want a king so that we can be like the other nations. Um, And so God gives them Saul. Um, God gives them Saul. He's an impressive guy. He's, he's a man. Um, he's a tall man. He's a man of uh, war. He's, he's, he's physically, um, the Bible says, head and shoulders um, above. And he's kind of very kind of intimidating um, as a king. He's, he fits the bill of what a king should be. Um, and yet there's something, although physically he's very impressive, spiritually um, his heart is a little bit void. He's a little bit bankrupt. He, he, he kind of tries to do things in his own strength and tries to manipulate circumstances to his own advantage um, as king. And, 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 and kind of we see it in lots of different um, ways throughout, uh, particularly the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and uh, we see him kind of trying to orchestrate things for his own gain and his own advantage. And so God basically then comes to Israel and says, I'm going to put my king on the throne. I'm going to put my king on the throne. I'm going to put David on the throne, who is a man after my own heart. I'm going to put this guy on the throne. Um, and so what we have at the moment is um, Saul, who is king of Israel, um, who is ruler over Israel, um, has David within Israel who has been anointed to be king. And David's only a relatively young guy at this time. Um, He's been anointed to be king, and yet Saul 
is king. And Saul's heart kind of burns with jealousy towards David, really, because he knows that this is God's anointed. And actually, he's, he wants to kind of assert his control and his domination um, over David. And so what Saul does is he brings David right into his um, inner court, right into the, his household, makes him um, general of his army, gives him um, rule of the army in Israel. So that, and basically what we see is David just defeats um, enemy after enemy after enemy. Repeatedly he defeats the Philistines. So um, Goliath was a Philistine. Um, and then repeatedly he defeats the enemies of Israel and wins victory after victory after victory to the point where Saul actually gets really jealous of him. Um, instead of Saul kind of championing his warrior, um, he kind of gets burns with jealousy towards him. Um, and basically he takes a spear and tries to um, kill David, pin him against a wall. Um, and David um, evades him, uh, and basically David flees. He, his wife lowers him out of a window. Um, he then uh, chases, chases out of the city. Um, he meets with Jonathan, who's one of his dearly beloved friends, who warns him that Saul's still trying to kill him, um, and so he runs. He finds shelter with a priest, but he's not sure of the motives, and he runs again. And so David is on the run. He's fearful at the moment. He's on the run, um, and this is where we pick up um, our passage in 1 Samuel 21. And so we'll read from verse 10. If you have a Bible, it should come up behind me. There we go. Um, it says, in, let me find, there we go. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down as thousands, and David is ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let a spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come to my house? And then in verse 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Heavenly Father, we just pray that as we open up your word, Lord, as we look at these themes of worship and war, Lord, that as we look at, uh, Lord, this story, this life of David, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray that as we meditate on your word, as we open up your truth, that God, you would speak right to the depths of who we are. Lord, we pray, would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? Lord, I pray that as I'm talking, you would just bring instances to mind. Lord, I pray you would give insights, you would bring conviction, Lord, and that ultimately you would receive glory through our lives. Lord, that as we sit under your word, as we submit to your word, that Lord, you would receive glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see um, in verse 10, David uh, flees to Gath. And so he runs away to Gath. Um, now, if you don't know, Gath uh, was actually the city uh, that Goliath was from. Um, and there's probably a couple of reasons why David's gone there. Um, first of all is that Goliath was from there. Um, so Gath was uh, quite a prominent city at the time. Um, he flees to Gath. He's probably thinking a couple of things. The first thing he's probably thinking is um, that, that Gath was probably a safe place because they had a mighty army. 
Um, Historians think that that Goliath, although a giant, nine foot tall, um, wasn't necessarily an anomaly. They bred them big in Gath, right? You had big people in Gath. Um, They were scary people. They were intimidating people. And so David probably thinks, well, if Saul was scared of Goliath, he's probably scared of the rest of them. So maybe I'll go there and seek refuge there. They can help me out. The second thing he probably thinks is, well, actually, I've beaten the Philistines over and over and over again. So so he's probably thinking, well, perhaps they'll recognize something of my victory over them um, and their surrender to Israel in that. And perhaps they'll take me in um, as, if, if not necessarily a friend, as, if you like, a ruler or somebody that is over them or they are in subjection to. But you see, there's a problem. Um, There's a clue here. Um, And we read later in uh, the beginning of Psalm 56. We'll come to that in a second. But he reads here, um, uh, insane, in their hands. So in verse 13, um, he's described as being in their hands. Basically, he's gone to Gath and they've captured him. They've basically seized him. They've probably placed him under house arrest. um, And so he's kind of now gone to a city that he thought might be a safe place. And they've kind of captured him. um, And now he's in a bit of a tricky spot. And so what does he do? He pretends to be mad. He pretends to be um, insane. um, And ultimately, uh, that insanity, um, Akish kind of just sort of ejects him. Just says, well, why why have you brought this guy to me? The guy's clearly crazy. Just get rid of him. Um, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I don't need another madman in my kingdom. Um, Probably thinking you guys who have brought him are a little bit crazy. Um, But essentially, he then ejects him um, out of um, his presence, out of the city. Um, And so David kind of evades capture, if you like. Um, But actually, He is on the run, but what is it that's driven him to Gath in the first place? Because there's several clues on the way through um, in the previous chapters. I'm just going to run through a couple of them. He's fearful of Saul. He's scared that Saul's going to kill him, so he runs. Um, he's, He's at home, and Saul sends guards to his house, and Michal, his wife, lowers him out the window and then deceives Saul to stall the army. So there's deception in his escape. And he escapes to um, the wilderness and Jonathan comes to meet him there. um, And Jonathan says, look, Saul's still trying to kill you. And David says, okay, well, listen, just tell Saul that I've gone to um, make an offering with my family in Bethlehem. He's not anywhere near Bethlehem. Well, I mean, he's not a million miles away, but he's not in Bethlehem. And so Jonathan goes back and deceives Saul again. He says, actually, you know, David's down in Bethlehem. He couldn't come to the feast, da, 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 da. Um, And basically, David runs off again. David then comes to seek uh, refuge with um, a priest, um, a guy called Ahimelech. Um, you can read this all in the previous two or three chapters. Um, and uh, says, give me food, give me sustenance, um, and give me a weapon, um, basically. And Ahimelech is kind of a little bit suspicious of this. Um, David doesn't feel entirely uh, peaceful, doesn't feel like Ahimelech's on his side at all. And so David basically then leaves that place. So what we see is Michal, deception. Jonathan, deception. David with Ahimelech, deception. And then finally, in this passage, we see David acting like a madman, deception. Just his, in, in, in his whole process of escape or fleeing from Saul is deception. And I, I get that he's scared. Absolutely. He's petrified. 
But you see, his confidence is not in God, in the fact that God has anointed him king. His confidence is actually in looking for refuge with potential allies, with different people along the way. And so actually all of this deception is basically driven by fear. His fear of David. Um, His fear of Saul, who's out to get him. His fear of Saul has led him to make these um, poor decisions, bad judgments. And so it doesn't matter whether it's um, Saul, Ahimelech, or Akish. The fear has gripped him. He's no longer making rational decisions. He's just making decisions out of fear. And I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that, where you're kind of on the back foot and you're scared, and you start making decisions that aren't wholly rational, but they make up for a previous decision that you've made. And actually, in your heart, you're just on the run. To the point where perhaps you get to a gaff, and we'll see what happens to David in just a second. Um, But fear will motivate you to do irrational things. Fear will motivate you to not live um, in a righteous way, in a good way. It will, f- it will drive you to make really poor decisions. Um, let me tell you um, a little story about fear in my own life. Um, so when I first moved to London, um, about 2006 or so, um, I, uh, if you've ever moved into London, um, you'll know it can be a little bit overwhelming, um, a lot overwhelming. Um, but I, I, I'd been at university before, I travelled through London, um, loved London, loved spending time in London, different areas, different parts of London, but it was a bit full on. Um, and I can remember as a teenager, I came up to watch a football match with a friend of mine. And we were passing through Victoria Station um, to get the train down to the south coast. Um, and we were, there were two of us, and we were approached by some guys, um, some teenagers who tried to mug us. Um, he tried to um, take money, take phones, take whatever they could, really. Um, and I can remember at that moment, we managed to evade them through some ninja tactics. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, we got home. But I can remember, even from that event, nothing hugely dramatic happened but I can remember feeling the fear for Victoria Station and I I can't really explain it to be honest I just know that every time I went to Victoria I went through Victoria I never wanted to go alone and I never and I never wanted to spend time there I always wanted to get through as quickly as possible it was irrational And so when we moved to London um, and God kind of pricked this on my conscience, I decided I've got to deal with this, (laughs) Um, as God so graciously does. Um, And so I basically used to occasionally, from work, used to divert through Victoria um, and I would face my fear, I would confront my fear, as we'll see that David does, and and I would just prayer walk Victoria Station. And you might think I'm crazy, but now I can go to Victoria Station completely panic-free, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a silly example when you think about it, but I'll tell you what, the fear was real. The fear was real, and it drove me to do some pretty weird things, to be honest, like to try and avoid Victoria every opportunity. And so this morning, we kind of have a a choice, really, like David did. Are you going to fear Saul, or are you going to fear God? In Proverbs um, 1, 7, um, it says that the fear of the Lord, let me find it. 
in 1.7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so actually this morning we have a choice. Are we going to fear man? Are we going to fear things around us? Are we going to fear circumstances? Or are we going to fear the Lord? Are we going to put our trust and our confidence in him? And so at David's lowest point, completely gripped by fear, um, he writes this psalm. Psalm 56. It starts at the beginning, um, and he says, uh, and he says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And so David's running scared, but he writes this psalm. It's a psalm which in the first six verses, he basically confronts his fear. He confronts his fear. And he says, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. But then the psalm turns. And so Towards the end of the psalm, his focus shifts. His focus shifts from fear of the people, the circumstances, the situation around him. It switches to his focus on God. In verse 7, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. He declares truth to himself in verse 9. This I know, that God is for me. He appeals to God at the beginning. He says, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me, O God. I feared man. I've not feared you. I've put my trust in man, thinking I can find refuge with them. I should have trusted you. I should have found refuge in you. It's, it's a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of repentance from his fear of man. And it's, it's a rededication, a recommitment to put his trust in the Lord. How do we know it's a psalm of repentance? How do we know he's not just got, 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 got that Christian concern, right? That never really changes things, but actually we're sorry about something. How do we know it's genuine repentance that turns 180 degrees? That says, I'm not going to give myself, I'm not going to place my confidence, my hope in that. I'm going to turn and I'm going to put my trust fully and confidently in the Lord. How do we know it's repentance? Well, we see in the previous verses, David's run from place to place to place to place to try and find refuge, to try and find somewhere where he can just live and not get killed. 
And each time he meets people and he runs again because the fear of man resurfaces and he runs. What we read in the next chapter, so 1 Samuel 22, David heads out into the wilderness. He heads to the cave of Adullam. He's, he's tried finding confidence and hope in men, but it hasn't stacked up, hasn't worked out well for him. And now he's come to a point of recognizing his sin. And this, this psalm is a psalm of repentance, that now he puts his trust in God and heads out into the wilderness, that God might be his refuge, that God might tend to him, that God might be the one that keeps him through this season when seemingly everybody else wants to kill him. Maybe God will keep him and be his refuge and shelter. See, he's no longer trusting in men, but he's trusting in God. And that same grace that David calls out to God for in the psalm at the beginning, be gracious to me, where the psalm ends, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. That actually David has received that grace from God. He's received what he didn't deserve. Where he'd run and put confidence in men, somebody was going to catch up to him and kill him. But by putting his trust in God, he says, you have delivered my soul from death. And we too can know that grace this morning. Perhaps you're here, you're listening to me and you're all running. Perhaps you're here and you're, you're, you know you're driven, you're motivated by fear. I've been in that place where you wake up and it's the first thing you think about. You go to bed at night and you dream about it. And then you wake up at two o'clock in the morning because you're, you're fearful of it. And then you live with that thing constantly. Maybe fear is what's motivating you and driving you. And I just want to say that you can know God's grace today. You can know his deliverance from fear. You can know his deliverance from that fear that leads to death. And you can come and put your trust in the Lord. You can come and fear the Lord instead. It's the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said um, that if we trust in the wisdom of man, it's like building a house on the sand. It's going to fall down. Perhaps you're here today and actually it's already fallen down. And that's why you're here. Because actually where you've been trusting in man's wisdom or trusting um, in people or putting your confidence in a situation or a circumstance that hasn't promised or delivered, that actually your foundation has basically shaken the house to the ground. So it's be like building a house on the sand. Um, but Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we never could. There was no... Uh, there was no error in him. There was no mistake in him. The Bible calls it sin. There was no sin in him. Where David had put, misplaced his trust, he'd sinned. But actually, Jesus never sinned. Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I never could. And then he died on the cross to deal with that sin. 
So that actually where we were trusting in, the, in men or seeking refuge or running from one thing to another to another to another, actually by coming to Jesus, we can find refuge, we can find shelter, we can find sustenance in him. But we've got to put our trust in him. We've got to acknowledge that the death that Jesus died on the cross dealt with all of our sin, all of that shame, all of that fear was dealt with. And then when he rose again, that he rose, rose us to new life in him. That actually we can now live with hope. We can now live with confidence and an assurance, just like David did. Those people didn't leave as soon as David repented. They were still there. But there's an assurance that comes as we start to trust God and put our confidence and our faith in him um, that actually um, buoys us. The Bible says that that sin or that misplaced trust is like a record of debt. Here, 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 here. And each one of those kind of, if you like, disqualifies us from eternity with God. And yet, through Jesus' life and death, we see each one of those things dealt with. The fear of man is gone. The shame that we feel is gone. The disgrace, gone. Perhaps pain, gone. Sickness, gone. All of it's gone. All of it's dealt with in the cross. And we can know newness of life in him. We can begin to live lives from a new perspective. It's like being given new eyes. All of a sudden you see situations for what they are. All of a sudden you face things with faith instead of fear. All of a sudden you're not motivated and driven and governed by fear anymore. And like David, through that repentance, there's, there's not just that, that, that sinking feeling of having made a mistake and having to grovel for um, salvation from the Lord, but actually there is, there, there, there is incredible restoration that happens. There is incredible healing that happens. And we'll see that through the life of David, that actually David, although he makes mistakes time and time and time again, he's restored Every time. God's grace, the grace that he appeals to in Psalm 56, he finds deliverance in that. He finds deliverance in that grace. And that's why we sang that songs about grace. We sing songs about new life. We sing songs um, about conquering over sin and death. Because that's what we now have in Jesus. And we're going to turn now to Psalm 34. Interestingly, the previous psalm, so Psalm 56, is written while he's being held captive at Gath. And then uh, Psalm 34 is, if you like, David's response to his deliverance. I know chronologically it's back to front, but um, basically 56 is his cry of repentance from that lowest of the lowest points to 34, which is his victory, which is the restoration, which is the healing that comes as he begins to put his trust in Jesus. And I'm going to read this psalm um, in just a minute. Um, But what I'd love us to do 
is I feel like there, 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 there will be numbers in the room that perhaps don't know the Lord. And the response for you is to come and put your trust in him, maybe even for the first time. To say, Lord, I'm not going to trust in the constructs of man. I'm not going to find refuge in people, in things, in structures, in finance, in possessions, in those securities and trappings. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live a life of obedience, putting trust and confidence in you. All of that other stuff may come, may go. But you are the constant that I want. You are the constant that I need. And that might look like repentance in your own heart, turning away from some of those things that you've put your trust and confidence in and saying, Jesus, I want to trust in you completely. I want to give myself to you today. Or maybe you're a believer um, and, and, and you're hearing this and you just know there's certain areas of your life that are motivated and driven by fear. I really feel like there's something about fear this morning that God wants to break. And it, and, and, and it drives you to make some crazy decisions, reactive decisions that, that seem on the face of it really unwise, really irrational. Perhaps you can't even go into work because of a relationship that actually you find intimidating and actually you don't understand your position in Christ and therefore your reaction to that relationship is negative. You come under fear. You are fearful um, in that situation. And God wants you to step out of that today. But you see, you, you can't do it by just me saying, be braver. Right? That's not a solution. <laughs> right? It takes concrete steps to say, do you know what, God? I'm going to call this what it is. I'm going to repent of my fear. Would you reveal to me what true fear, what fear of the Lord really is? What fear of your mighty name really is? And it may be that you're a believer and you've known God come through in situations before. But there's just something that's just, it's like a sticking point. Like David. David defeated Goliath. Right? That's no small feat. And he gets put in charge of the army. And then all of a sudden, something switches and he's on the run. And it's deception it's, and it's dodging things and it's manipulating circumstances. He's on the run. And maybe you're on the run this morning. And God wants you to come repent of that fear and put your trust in him. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you all to stand. If you're in that first category and you would love to uh, know more about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, um, we'd love to chat with you, pray with you, uh, walk that journey with you. So please do tell a friend that you came with um, <clears throat> or come find myself. Um, and if you're, but if you're in that second category, um, I just want you where you are to just close your eyes um, and just lift your hands to the Lord. Um, there's nothing special formulaic about it it's just a significant it's a signifier that actually you're just saying god i want to repent of those actions i want to repent of of putting my trust and confidence of seeking refuge um in in my circumstances in men 
um, and I want to come and put my full weight and trust on you and I want to find refuge in you. And I'm going to read Psalm 34. It's 22 verses, but you'll see through it this truth of this psalm is so incredibly powerful as it speaks of God defeating fear, as it speaks of him being our refuge, as it speaks of him being our sure foundation, steady foundation. So Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Lord Jesus, we just say that, Lord, we come to seek refuge in you. And, Lord, for those things that we need to repent of and leave behind, Lord, we just want to do that knowing confidence, assurance, boldness in you, knowing that we can put our trust in you. That instead of fearing circumstances, fearing man, Lord, we want to be those that fear and revere you. And actually in that, find victory, find wisdom. Lord Jesus, we say you are our confidence. You are our refuge. There is no other refuge. And Lord, we pray that through that you would heal and restore faith. Lord, I pray you would give us faith, Lord, for whatever situational circumstances we're facing. And that, Lord, we would understand who you have made us to be as your children, 
as carriers of your presence. And that, Lord, we would walk in that assurance knowing that you are the one who delivers us and sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen.